Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, but I'm not going to waste your time talking about myself. Today, we have two guests, and we're going to travel across America from L.A. to New York. First, we will go to Los Angeles to talk to Nico Evans, an extremely talented young running back who has just been invited to the XFL draft. Nico had a standout season in his senior year of college, averaging over 132 yards per game. We will speak to him about his upcoming opportunity to play in the XFL. Then we will travel all the way to New York City and speak with Mike Mitchell. Mike will talk about the XFL and give us some special insight on the XFL coach hirings, the upcoming draft, and comment on how successful the league has been so far. I call this podcast From L.A. to New York. It's a reverse Patsy Gallant. I'm not going to delay the journey. Let's get started. Uh, We'd like to welcome Nico Evans to the podcast. He is a very talented young running back who played his college ball at University of Wyoming. This past spring, as an undrafted free agent, he was signed to the Philadelphia Eagles. However, a few weeks later, he was waived. Fast forward to last week, when we learned that he had been invited to the XFL draft. Welcome, Nico. Hey, how's it going? Great, and it's great to have you here. Now, you grew up in Los Angeles, right? Yes, I did. Which high school did you go to? I went to Loyola High School in downtown Los Angeles. And you played uh, football for Loyola? Yep, I played football and I ran track. Right, and and did you for Loyola? Were you a running back or? Yep, I was a running back all four years at Loyola. And you, that's the only position you played. Yeah, early early on freshman year, I tried to play corner, some safety, but um, no, I just focused mainly on running back towards my uh, junior and senior year. Great. So, how did you end up in Wyoming? You know, um, my head coach at Loyola actually had a relationship with the defensive coordinator and the coaching staff at North Dakota State. And once they got the job at Wyoming, um, my coach told me about it and said they had a heavy interest in me. At first, I was like, Wyoming? I don't know. Coming from Los Angeles, I was kind of skeptical. But, you know, looking at what Coach Bull did at North Dakota State and how many games he won and the culture that he created over there, it um, sounded like a great idea. I was able to turn the program around and go to Wyoming. So it it turned out to be a good decision uh, for you because last year in 2018, in your senior year at Wyoming, you rushed for 1,325 yards in 10 games, and uh, that's an average of 132.5 yards per game. Yep. How did you come about to have such a standout season? You know, um, early in my career, I was uh, a sideline to uh, Brian Hill, who was our running back, and so I just kind of had to stay patient and keep working. And when my time came and I got the opportunity, I just uh, went with it, you know. I feel like I've always had the talent to produce that kind of those kind of numbers, but in this game, you know, you just have to wait for your opportunity. When that opportunity comes, you just have to run with it. So I watched some of your video, and I noticed that, and others have have mentioned this that once you find a crease, you seem to be gone. Yeah, I, I kind of say my style is a one cut back. I don't like to make too many moves when I see the hole open up. I just like to hit it as fast as I can. So see the hole and hit it. Exactly. 
So according to your website, uh, you consistently run the 40 in 4.4 seconds, and it says you were chip-timed running greater than 22 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So that's your track experience coming through right there. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, the track experience. I think in the Boise State game is when I hit my 22 miles per hour on that run. So you were selected first team in the All-Mountain West Conference? Yes, so I was. And you also played on special teams? Mm-hmm. Not much my senior year, but freshman through junior year, I was starting on all four special teams. Well, six if you include hands and onside, but you know, I was a big special teams player. And then in your senior year, you just focused on running back? Yeah, they, they wanted me to mainly focus on running back. They didn't want me to get tired out on special teams, but if they needed me, I was there. Great. You know, I, I encourage anyone listening to this podcast to check out the video of you, uh, 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 the highlights. It's actually pretty impressive how you, uh, your running style. So you were signed by the Eagles as an undrafted free agent right after the draft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you went to their training camp, uh, but they already had a lot of running backs, didn't they? Yeah. It was a kind of a weird situation. Um, went to a team that already had eight running backs. So, you know, after rookie mini camp, they decided that they needed bad uh, need at O line, and so it was just kind of you know how the NFL works; it's a numbers thing. And so I was the last one in at running back, so first one out, and then O lineman was signed. You know, it's it's unfortunate to hear stories like that of uh, young talent such as yourself to uh, to be given an opportunity and then have it uh, slip away just like that without uh, and, and because of numbers, of course. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm sure other NFL teams have been interested in you. Yes, um, later on I've had workouts with the Jaguars. I had workouts with the Packers, and so teams have definitely shown interest. And now I understand the XFL is interested as well. Definitely. I'm just blessed to get that invitation to be part of the XFL draft pool. Right. So it's, it, gives you, it gives you something that you can uh, – an opp- another opportunity at least is on, is on the table, right? Yep. That's all I need. That's all I ever ask for is another opportunity. Exactly. So you, you never participated in a summer showcase because you were actually in training camp at the time when they ran those, didn't, weren't you? Yeah. You know, I was uh... – Actually, I didn't know about the summer showcases, so I mean, it would have been great to participate in one of those, but I guess the the timing didn't work out. So did someone from the XFL contact you, or did you work out for the XFL? No, I actually, when I found out about the XFL, me and my agent had went out to them to kind of send them emails and talk to them about me, because, you know... uh, Having the breakout season that I did senior year, I wasn't really on the radar my junior year, so a lot of people didn't really know about me. And so to get this XFL exposure, I kind of had to email a bunch of guys, email some coaches, say, hey, like, look at my film, look at my stats. And once they saw that, I generated some interest and was able to get me onto the draft pool. Great. You know, it's exactly. So once they saw uh, your standout year in, in senior year last year, I'm sure they uh, they started to perk up with their interest. Did uh, Now, the XFL draft is next month in October. Now, which team are you hoping to be selected by? Any team that gives me the best opportunity to play. I'm sure so it would be a, it would be a treat if you played in Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles, Florida, Texas, doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter where I play as long as I get to play this game that I love. Um, whoever gives me the opportunity, whoever lets me do what I do, that's uh, that's where I want to go. Well, that's good to hear. Now, your potential NFL career path may take you through the XFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to my agent a lot, and he says, some people have a roundabout way of getting to the NFL, and it doesn't matter how you get there. It's about getting there. And, you know, I agree with that. You know, a lot of some people are drafted. Some people are undrafted. Some people get signed after a workout instead of a tryout. It doesn't matter how you get there. It's about getting there. And, you know, my story's not finished. Well, so exactly. I'm grateful for this XFL opportunity. It may lead to the NFL or it may lead to the XFL blowing up and becoming bigger than the NFL. No one really knows. But whatever it is, just this opportunity is what I'm grateful for. So you'll be running the ball no matter what. Yeah, what, no matter what. You, the opportunity yeah. arrives, you're going to run the ball. Yeah, it's all about it. getting paid to play football. That's the beauty of it. Right? <laughs> it's not as a kid, you're getting paid, paid to play something that you're doing for free. Yeah, that's you're great, isn't paid it? To, to do something that you love. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. I can say from XFL board's point of view and the fans that will be listening to this podcast, we hope to see you on an XFL roster come next February. I think that would be exciting. Yeah, it would be very exciting. Well, That's what I'd, I'm hoping for. I'd like to thank you for coming out today and joining the podcast. And again, I'd like to wish you the best of luck in your career. And we will be following sure. you. Now, I understand, I uh, just want to point out, people can hit you up on Twitter. At, yep. at nextup underscore Nico, or your website is nicoevansfootball.com. Yep. So they can follow. follow along and yep. see how Nico's doing with his career. Well, thank you, Nico. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, that was Nico Evans. If all goes well, he will soon be drafted into the XFL for their inaugural season. Okay, I'd like to welcome Mike Mitchell to the podcast. Mike joined XFL board back in 2001 as a young reporter. When the XFL came back for its second incarnation, Mike came back. He is currently a team reporter for the New York Guardians, but most of you know him for his insightful articles he has written about the XFL in general. Thanks for agreeing to join us today, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on. Um, uh, It's great to be on. I'm I'm glad that this show is... uh, part of the landscape now xfl board and now xfl extra great yeah you know i'm going to start off by reading a piece that was posted over 18 years ago on the xflboard.com website and the date it was posted was 26 of march 2001 okay the ride is over coming into yesterday's game against orlando the new york new jersey hitmen had turned around their season and put themselves in a position to take their next step into the xfl playoffs two steps forward and by virtue of yesterday, one step back into reality. The Orlando Rage jumped on the Hitmen early and held on late to beat New York 17-12 to in front of 20,000 Rage fans. Do you remember writing that piece? Yes, I do. Um, what a trip down memory lane that was. Um, you know, I was so entrenched in that season um, and in every moment of that season and, you know, lost in all the hysteria and controversy surrounding the league was that New York actually started picking up steam by the end of the season. They actually had an opportunity uh, to make the playoffs. And so, you know, despite all their issues, at quarterback, despite all the strange 
decision making in terms of the whole Jesse Ventura Rusty Tillman feud, which was bizarre. Um, the hitmen, the hitmen were actually picking up steam and had an opportunity to make the playoffs at the end of the year, and they were playing good football. Uh, the league overall, the play was improving as the season went along. So, yeah, that does bring me down uh, memory lane there, and that, that was an interesting point in the league for sure. Yeah, how how old were you when you wrote that article? Oh wow, <laughs> I was twenty one at the time. Uh, what was it like for you back in two thousand one to report on your home team? Uh, it was unique. With a first year league, it's it takes a while before you feel uh, an emotional investment to a team. So it's not like say if you're a uh, Giants or Jets fan, you've been watching them your whole life. So you know, as the season went on you get more and more attached to a particular team. And uh, so I was living and dying by the end of the season. I was living and dying with the wins and losses. The games meant a lot to me, even though the majority of people had abandoned the league. So it was a unique experience for sure. And, you know, I'm one of the few who was actually heartbroken uh, when the league wrapped up because I was really starting to get, getting into the teams and the personalities and all that. So it was difficult. So, in your opinion, what was it that made XFL 1.0 worthwhile? As always with these types of leagues, what makes it worthwhile is the opportunity that it affords players and coaches and football fans in general. So, you know, the hundreds of players that were playing, the coaches, um, the overall experience of the XFL, just how fan-friendly it was, uh, either watching or uh, at the games themselves. So. I think also, you know, the, what made the XFL worthwhile in the, in the long run, which people kind of notice to this day, is how much the original league changed the way uh, football is broadcast forever. I think you have to go back and watch NFL and college games in the year 2000, then watch the XFL, and then watch today's football product to see how much of an influence uh, the XFL, the original XFL had from a broadcasting aspect. On they changed they were ahead of their time in a lot of respects so I, I think that made it worthwhile so they they have the XFL for as much as it's ridiculed they they left a, a lasting impact and they actually created some positives so and so it what made it worthwhile was those things okay the new XFL was announced in January 2018 and it won't kick off until February 2020 that's two years to prepare is that too much time. Actually, um, you question with a lot of these leagues whether or not two years is the right amount of time because I, I, I think you could never have enough time to actually uh, get the league prepared. I think the league is starting to feel a little bit of the crunch right now because they have so much that they need to do. And we're only, what, six months out from kickoff? And, you know, they're, they're, they're coming up against a deadline. So they have time. But there's definitely a lot that they need to do, and they don't want to rush through any aspect. I think you can see with the league throughout the city process, the team naming process, you can see how methodical they've been. And they haven't rushed through things. They don't want to get to the point where they are rushing. So, you know, I think two years I think two years is a proper time, proper amount of time. But I think every aspect of the league has taken time. You know, just hiring a CEO of the company, the commissioner, and Oliver Luck took the league six months. And then putting together uh, people in the football operations department took some time after that as well. 
and then choosing cities took the league 11 months. And they were very methodical in that process. So they could have rushed into these things, but they want to do them properly. They want to do it right. So the league right now, I think they're on schedule for sure. And um, there are a lot of big things coming up in the next month or so. But uh, they're going to start feeling the crunch of time. You know, they won't say it publicly, but they kind of wish they had a little more time, to be honest. And, okay, so the league hired their first head coach, Bob Stoops, in uh, on 7 February 2019. And how big was this hiring? Oh, it was huge because with these types of leagues, usually what you what you have with a secondary pro football league is coaches and players that are getting a second chance. And with Bob Stoops, you're getting a guy who's a frontline premier coach who can coach any major college program, any major NFL team, and he actually is going to be coaching and running an XFL team. So to get someone of that caliber and that demand is gives the league such massive credibility. So um, he is probably, um, if you're going top three, between Oliver Luck, the league's TV deal, and Bob Stoops, the three most important aspects and promising aspects of the XFL in general. And so Stoops is very important. He's, he's the face of the league right now. The league doesn't have players yet. I would say he's one of the most important pieces of the whole aspect. Yeah, exactly. Now, they started with uh, Bob Stoops being a big name, and they, they seemed to try to get some other big-name people, and then they struggled a little bit getting some of the people they wanted to hire. But they got it done. Overall, how do you think they did in their head coach hiring? I think they did really well. You know, one of the interesting aspects to the whole uh, coach hiring process was, you know, a lot of people didn't realize how much work was put in into the actual hires themselves. For example, uh, Mark Tressman had double hip replacement surgery, and Oliver Luck went in the winter last year, went to Canada after Mark Tressman's surgery and began recruiting him then. Last summer, Oliver Luck went to Michigan and recruited Pep Hamilton. So he was planting seeds with coaches months before they were officially hired. And it took a while to convince these coaches to come on board. Now, of course, Hamilton has a relationship with Luck, with his son through Stanford. So that kind of helped. And Hamilton in interviews talked about how he was getting Christmas cards from the league office like uh, this past December, uh, where they were still recruiting him, basically, to come on board. June Jones was also recruited during last year's CFL season. I think the league, uh, Jim Zorn was earmarked for Seattle the moment the league chose Seattle as one of its cities. So I think there's a misconception out there that the league struggled to uh, make all their hires. The struggle was really in convincing their desired targets to come on board. And June Jones initially turned down the XFL and then uh, came around. Uh, Oliver Luck held the Houston spot for him. And that was the final hire that we saw take place. And so I think, I think they did a very good job of getting coaches that fit the regions that they're in, getting coaches that are accomplished and have credibility. And they even, they didn't just go the, I hate to use the term, retread. They didn't just go the retread route. They hired somebody energetic and fresh like a Winston Moss. They hired somebody energetic and fresh like a Pep Hamilton. So, and even Jonathan Hayes, you know, coaches that are getting a first-time 
kind of opportunity to lead their own franchises, uh, respected figures, especially in the case of someone like Winston Moss, you're seeing uh, the value and getting someone who's hungry and uh, has the enthusiasm, the right kind of enthusiasm that you need for this league, not just somebody who's collecting a paycheck and winding down the end of their careers, but someone who's energetic about leading their own franchise and and, uh, being a part of the XFL. So I think the league did a very good job. It's not easy convincing coaches or players or agents that a second pro league is the way to go. So it wasn't an overnight process for sure. It took a lot of hard work. But I think the end result is that the league did a very good job. Uh, When the XFL kicks off, uh, we're going to be introduced to some new rules that the XFL is planning. What on-field changes, rule changes, are you excited about the most? The one I'm most excited about, and it's almost like a a pipe dream because I'm not sure if it's going to happen or not, is the all-11 audio communication system. Um, Now, this is something that was tested recently uh, with the Spring League. And so the networks were on hand to test this audio system. Just getting it to work properly is not going to be easy. Even in this state-of-the-art world, um, even the NFL has issues, audio issues sometimes with their headsets. Um, So the XFL, if they're able to pull that off, where all 11 players on the field can get the coach's call and uh, communicate on the field with each other quickly, um, that excites me because then I think that will really uh, quicken the pace of the game for, for sure. Um, on offense and on defense, I think there'll be less confusion with the players just trying to communicate quickly on the fly. There are several other rules that are interesting that the league has been testing out. Um, I like the fact that they're trying to get rid of meaningless plays like touchbacks and fair catches and all that stuff. I think over the course of the game, that uh, adds to more exciting plays where there aren't any plays that are just like throwaways. They don't matter. I think some of the stuff they're trying is a little radical. Um, might take a little while getting used to. Overtime concept being one of them. The conversion uh, aspect being another. Trying for three-point conversions, although I think that's going to be extremely low percentage. Um, it's going to be hard to convert those. But they're, they're going to try to do some different things that stand out. Some of them will absolutely work. And some might go back to the drawing board eventually. I think that's why, like the, the league has been very methodical when it comes to cities and team names and everything else, I think that's why we haven't seen the league rules yet because once they're finalized and they're a go, they're going to be in place. They can't go into the season every week changing the rules. So something the original XFL did uh, where they decided to have bump and run coverage all the way down the field, and then after a couple of weeks, The original XFL saw how much of a bad idea that was, and they scrapped it. So the XFL, once they cement these rules in, they're going to have to stick with them. So I think they're debating all these different uh, time clock issues and all these different wrinkles that they're going to have in their rule book. The original XFL didn't have a chance to test their rules, did they? No, they did not. You know, I mean, they, they just, you know, they sat in a boardroom and came up with a few ideas and said, let's just do it. Now, they did have a little bit of an, uh, an exhibition period, the short training camp that they had, where they tested out a few things here and there, but it's obviously not to the extent of what the current XFL has done with the junior colleges, with your call football, with several sessions, with the spring league. They obviously have done a lot of R&D research and development. And it's been a long process for them because 
this is something that's been in place for a while that they've been going over and going over and going over. So, yeah, the original XFL did not put this much time and effort. A lot of that had to do with they didn't have the time nor the proper resources to uh, fully uh, do the, the, the type of research and development that you would need to implement all these rules. Let's talk about the draft because it's coming up. Just uh, maybe just a quick thought on the draft. And then I know you've, in the past, you've made a case for the fact that there is plenty of high caliber football talent available for football leagues such as the XFL. So when it comes to the XFL draft, how do the numbers work out? How many are invited and how many will be drafted? Well, the, approximately there's 700 players that have been sent invites already. Um, the league sent out a bunch of invites right after the NFL cut. So all available free agents, pro football free agents, have been sent invites. Now the question is how many of them will accept the invites? That's kind of kept under wraps at the moment. Um, I, think, I think the number they're looking for is uh, 560 there's supposed to be 70 players drafted by each team uh, that would get them to that number. And so the purpose of sending out 700 invites is to have as many players in the pool as possible. doesn't guarantee that obviously with that number 560 that all 700 will be drafted, but as is the case with any pro sports draft, there's always more players available than the ones that actually get drafted. So um, they, the league has sent out invites to, to every available free agent that happened after the NFL cuts. They've had serious talks with uh, Paxton Lynch, Cardell Jones, Devlin Hodges, whether or not those, they all three of those players were sent invites. Obviously Hodges is now back in the NFL with the Steelers practice squad for the moment. Cardell Jones is back in the NFL for the moment with the Seahawks on their practice squad. And Lynch is currently available. Whether he decides to be a part of the XFL is another matter altogether. You, the assumption is that Paxton Lynch would not be part of the overall player draft. I think what's interesting is we're probably about six weeks away from the actual draft taking place. The word I got was that it would be in the fourth week of October, which would be from the 21st to the 25th. So um, that's tentative. I mean, that could change, but that's the word I got there. So there's still some time remaining on that. But I think they, the league hasn't, this is another thing where they're being methodical. They haven't finalized all the terms yet of how they're going to organize the draft. Obviously, if you have 70-player rosters, you're not going to have a 70-round draft. You're going to have to split that up. So how they decide to do that, whether or not they do a standard 10-round draft or 20-round draft and then do positional drafts afterwards or supplemental drafts afterwards, uh, that hasn't been determined yet. But it's going to be fascinating to see how the XFL allocates players and how they set up that process, they would have to set up the draft order as well. You want to give these teams internally, every team is going to have a list of all the players that have accepted invites. And then you want to give these teams time to prepare for the draft. So since we're about six weeks away, ideally teams would at least have a month to, uh, you know, where they, to know where they're going to be drafting and what players they're going to target. Great. You know, there's a lot of excitement. Uh, people are excited about the draft. They're excited to see how it's going to go. And that's good. I think it's good for the league, that level of oh, excitement. No about it. I mean, um, I think that's where you start to see. We, we've seen all these little things that have made the league seem like a more of a reality than a fantasy. Um, getting, obviously, the team identities is big towards that. And then uh, the team schedules, which should be released, released soon. But once the teams actually have players, 
then you know it's full go. Right. It's not a fantasy anymore. I think there's still some people out there who think, like, you get, get a little worried sometimes, get a little antsy because they don't hear any news, and they think, oh, wow, is something going on? Is something wrong? Because people are so used to these types of leaks having hiccups and having issues on their road to actually launching. So I think once the league drafts players, it's going to be extremely exciting. It'll, it'll feel like a football league. Yeah, exactly. And that's that actually leads me to my next uh, question. It's about this idea that the XFL is a is a real football league. And you might remember back in 2001 when people questioned whether the XFL was real football, which was kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was pretty funny. I mean, there's still some people out there right now that wonder because Vince McMahon is the the uh, funder and founder of the XFL whether or not there'll be any scripting aspect to the league just because he's the chairman of uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. I think it's just pretty silly. Um, but, uh, but I do remember with the, with the initial league, with the original league back in 2001, how people still to this day think that a lot of those games were uh, rigged. I, I can tell you from uh, just the quality of play in the first few weeks that they, you know, uh, there were no com- real competitive games. It was sloppy football, listen, right? So, uh, if that was scripted, that's not how they should have played it out. Um, well, yeah. So if it was scripted, it was a pretty bad script. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad, pretty awful. Yeah, so it's uh, it's just silly. I, I think I think we're a little past that. You know, as we're approaching the year 2020, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some people who uh, try to make that statement, but um, yeah, it was it was an issue more so back in 2001 because you know, wrestling company running a football league. People wondered how much of it was going to be on the, for lack of a better term, up and up. Yeah, of course. Now, do you, you remember back in 2001 when Bob Costas interviewed Vince McMahon? I do. Uh, that was, <laughs> I, you know, as a, as a staunch supporter of the XFL uh, and seeing how the media treated the XFL during that time frame, uh, I was kind of, I felt a little bit like Vince McMahon, like a little bit of, anger towards the disrespect that the media had towards the league and its players. But I didn't think that Vince McMahon was going to actually act out that anger on television. Um, and that was just an ugly incident in both ways, um, both from Costas and his kind of attitude and, and Vince with his temperament at the time, which probably wasn't the right way to go. He probably regrets that he lashed out that way, even though those were his genuine feelings about Bob Costas and just, in general, the kind of the neglect and the disrespect that the uh, mainstream media had towards the league and its players. Right. I, I believe Costas was trying to whip up viewership by going negative. And, of course, McMahon was there to try to do the same uh, for his league. But do you do we still expect to see that type of de- deliberate negativity with today's XFL? I think initially you're going to get some of that because just from the general sense that these type of leagues get disrespected for not being the NFL. You'll see the players be disrespected in different quarters for not being good enough to be in the National Football League. Uh, they'll be called rejects and all that. Um, so you'll get, you'll get a bit of that. I do think the back then, back in 2001, the XFL did not have the type of media partnership than it has now. Back then, they had NBC, but NBC was out of the NFL game, so to speak. And now, with the XFL having ESPN and Fox on their side, those networks will show the XFL more respect. They'll show their highlights on their network. 
they'll treat the games not like they treat the NFL. Nothing's the NFL. But they'll treat the games with more respect than they got in 2001, where you would barely see a highlight on ESPN after the first couple of weeks. And if there was anything shown on ESPN or any other uh, medium, it was to mock or joke about the XFL. So I think you'll definitely see more respect towards the product overall. And it's up to the league. If they put out a quality product, which I think they will, I think people will come around. They may not love it. They may still be skeptical about it actually succeeding in the long term. But um, I think the quality of product will dictate how the public treats it. Yeah, exactly. Now, I remember, uh, I think in a, a previous interview, I heard you saying that one of the reasons you thought a, a website like XFL Board was important in 2001 was because we were providing coverage of the of a league that other uh, media outlets weren't weren't willing to cover. And of course, now in <clears throat> today's uh, league, you pointed out that ESPN and Fox will be covering the XFL. So I think with XFL Board, of course, we don't have a, as big of a job to do as we did back in 2001, do we? Yeah, there's no question about that. We were the the website itself was alone on an island. I mean, it's a different time frame to begin with, but there was very little, if any, coverage. I mean, at any market that the XFL was in. Um, obviously, it's a different world now with Twitter, and the only coverage that they got back then was in a negative or mocking fashion. No one was really talking about. You know, you brought up earlier in this interview that article. Um, my writing style was based on a lot of the New York sports writers who would cover a game and break it down. And I just did not see that for the hitman of the Las Vegas Outlaws. It was um, unless it was on XFL board. I did not see people actually breaking down the actual games or or breaking down the teams or the players or which teams had the best offenses, defenses, etc. So I think it's going to be a different world with the uh, new XFL uh, than it was, obviously, back in 2001. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that, that that is to be expected. and it's, it's, it's actually a welcome change when you think about it. Um, so I would like to uh, thank you for coming back to XFL board, <laughs> despite these <laughs> well, changes. It's great, it's great being back, you know. Um, there was the best site back then. It's the best site now. So, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the XFL... Uh, community is growing and that there are a lot of different sites now and there's so many different options for people who follow the league um, but it's great to have one of the originators uh, back on board for lack of a better term exactly yeah well, that's exactly how i feel the bigger and better we we uh we build this community the bigger and better the support for the league will be uh especially now at the grassroots type of level I mean, yeah. this league could grow, and it could be, uh, it, at some point in time, it might not need the websites like XFL Board to help it get going. But right now, we're going to do as much as we can on XFL Board to, to help it get started in a positive way and to support it. And I, I know right. you're, I mean, I know you're I, behind I, that. I don't want to overvalue all the, the uh, sites that cover the XFL, but part of the image and the perception of the league is our sites and how we cover the league. So. If people are, if you're an outsider and um, you don't know much about the XFL, and you go to websites that are covering the XFL, um, those sites, like us and others, have to represent the league in the best possible way and have to cover the league in a professional manner. I think that's something that XFL board managed to do even t- almost 20 years ago, and is obviously doing now. You know, it wasn't the, it wasn't an unprofessional 
website back in 2001 of like a bunch of young guys who were wrestling fans writing a bunch of silly articles. Um, it was we treated the league with respect, and I think that's very important um, for the overall coverage of the league and how the XFL is perceived by uh, people who are sports fans. Exactly. Well, Mike, I would like to thank you for joining us today. And I know we will be calling on you in future podcasts and because we just love your football insight. And I'd like to uh, especially thank you for being a trooper and coming out today despite the fact you have a cold. Yeah, I'm, I've been working through it, fighting through it, but it is a pleasure um, to be on. Thank you very much, Mark. Great. Well, we're going to talk to you again in the future. Have a good day. You too. Thanks again to our guests, Nico Evans and Mike Mitchell. I hope you enjoyed today's journey. You are more than welcome to come back next Sunday, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.